1: I enjoy talking to on the radio more than Bill Burns. Bill Burns is a scholar. He has more degrees than most thermometers. He is a gifted writer. He's written many books. He's written probably more books uh, than I have read. He has an ability to tell a story. He has an ability to research things, to explain things in a thorough manner uh, like no one else, and perhaps most importantly, he's kind enough to always stay up late with us. Please join me in welcoming New York Times bestselling author of many books, including The Day After Roswell, the editor of the UFO Encyclopedia, the publisher of UFO Magazine, and elected official in the state of Pennsylvania, Dr. William Burns. Bill, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Frank. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. The last time we spoke was, I think, about two weeks ago today. And since then, the whole world has changed because we spent a lot of time two weeks ago talking about this uh, purported Chinese spy balloon that was shot down and what that could have meant, what it said about uh, what China was doing, what it said about what the United States was doing in terms of aviation, air defense and the UAP issue. And since then... In succeeding days, the United States shot down three more UFOs, and these are the definitions of UFOs. We can't identify them, but they were flying and they were objects. Now, since then, uh, the government has said they were not Chinese, not harmful, not extraterrestrial, but they can't tell us what they are, and they're not going to try to look anymore to recover these devices that we shot down Tell me what your take is on this and if these three objects have altered your view at all of what your initial reaction was to the Chinese spy balloon. Well,
0: first, the reason we identified these three objects at all uh, from NORAD is that we hadn't tuned our radars to these kinds of objects. What the Chinese balloon did – and I believe we've been sitting still for Chinese balloons and Russian balloons and for years, um, ever since um, the 1960s when President Eisenhower negotiated open skies with Nikita Khrushchev. He also negotiated open skies with the extraterrestrials. But, uh, so we've been sitting still for this for years until it became a political hot potato which it did under the Biden administration. And once we were aware, and once the public, by we, the uh, the public, were aware of these things, suddenly the government had to react. So they fine-tuned their radars, they made them more refined, they opened up the aperture, they suddenly were, uh, uh, were announcing the discovery of other balloons. But the incredible thing was, Look at what we did with these balloons, like Huron over in Alaska. We used $500,000 Sidewinder missiles. $500,000 a pop to shoot down a $25 balloon? I mean, and we did it three times? It sounds like you're skeptical. I'm very skeptical um, because we've been living with this for over 60 years, but suddenly the politics of ballooning and balloons for surveillance were used ever since Napoleon. Um, But the politics of this causes us, at a time we're fighting over the debt ceiling, fighting over this, fighting over social security, spending $2 million right off the pop shooting down balloons. And by the time we shot that, I understand the Chinese balloon. Because it had Chinese technology for data and intelligence gathering. Now that's our property. Now we own it. That's one thing. But these other balloons, the government won't even tell us. And are they flying UFOs? Probably not. Um, So um, I'm very skeptical of this.
1: So why do you think the government is offering no explanation? Do you think it's because... They don't know what they've shot down. Do you think they don't want to tell us for some reason? And if it's the latter, why would they not want to tell us? I think they simply don't know. I think what the
0: government did was they shot down balloons from private companies, companies that believe they were in the right flying balloons over this territory. I mean, what are they gathering? I understand the premise of the open skies agreement. When Eisenhower and Khrushchev first talked about it back in 1961, 62, what they were talking about was if you do passive data gathering, you won't make a mistake about the other side's intentions. That was the premise. And, If China is planning, which I think it is, I think this is in the works right now. We're sitting on the verge of World War III. I think that what China is is planning is an invasion of Taiwan. I think that the Russian invasion, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, if that is allowed to succeed, our next war will be China invading Taiwan. And this will be a repeat of World War Two—the of the, uh, the um, a fight in the Pacific, an Asian war in the Pacific, and a European war in the Atlantic. Well, and if and I think, uh, I think if, that's if, on the verge,
1: if Iran uh, is allied with Russia and China, it could be a fight in the Middle East as well. But we'll put uh, we'll put that aspect of it aside for just a moment. You you indicated that you didn't think these three objects. Were you use the term UFOs, even though they technically are UFOs? But when we have met, we use that term UFO post Roswell, as you know better than anybody, it's generally applied to some sort of extraterrestrial craft or something. Why are you Why are you inclined to think that these three objects were not extraterrestrial in nature?
0: Well, a, a couple of reasons. One, the, gov- it, uh, the government still. To this very day, covers up. And if they were, um, <clears throat> once they had to shoot these things down, If first of all, if they were alien uh, technology, you have a, a, a real alien UFOs, I don't think they'd be shot down by a Sidewinder missile. Why would I say that? Because we have been chasing UFOs in the skies ever since 1952 when the UFOs invaded Washington, D.C., we shot one down in West for over West Virginia in 1952, but we haven't shot any UFOs. Well, there's one over Ramstein um, Air Force Base in Germany in the 1970s. But by and large, when a UFO wants not to be shot down, they're not shot down. Look at the Navy pilots in 2011 and 2014, getting trying to get radar locks on those objects uh, off the San Diego Naval Base in California. They tried again and again, and these objects broke the radar contact, and the pilots were finally laughing and gave up. So this year, if we were trying to shoot them down, we would have missed. They would have broken the radar Mm. lock. That's Mm. why I'm thinking. They're not foreign. They're not alien technology.
1: A while ago, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Bill Burns, New York Times bestselling author of many books, including very apropos the week of President's Day, UFOs and the White House. What did our presidents know and when did they know it? A fascinating book that I actually own that we'll get into a little bit. You said in one of our conversations, maybe a year or two ago, actually, that a lot of these objects that were appearing on radar, maybe even the Nimitz, uh, the Nimitz encounters, that maybe they weren't uh, alien, maybe they weren't extraterrestrial, terrestrial, but maybe they were some sort of craft developed by American military contractors, possibly even as a result of reverse engineering alien technology are are you still of the belief that a lot of these uap sightings could be the work of military contractors yes i
0: think so i think that what happened after the roswell crash it got this is we're, we're back in 1947 under harry truman and first of all nobody knew what the crash was all we knew was that it was a technology we didn't have. The first thought was it was a Japanese fire balloon that for some reason hung over the Atlantic for two years after World War II and finally came to rest in Roswell. That was the initial thought that it, would, that it might contain um, anthrax or explosives. It didn't. The problem was that even before the military got to this, and there were two crash sites at Roswell, that even before the military got there, the local civilian authorities, the fire department and the Chavez County Sheriff, George Wilcox, got there first. And they saw what they saw. And they told their children, Mm because I spoke to the children of Roswell, they told their children what they found, the little creatures uh, of the device split open against the Arroyo. And a couple of creatures were still alive. By the time the army got there, this thing had gotten into the media. So the first thing they had to do, and this is where politics gets involved, the first thing they had to do was grab the person who discovered the wreckage in the first place, Billy Brazel. And this goes all the way back. Talk about American history to the um, – the, um, Billy the Kid and Sheriff Pat Garrett. The Brazzles, in a cattle kind of rustling scheme at the end of the 19th century, they killed Pat Garrett. Pat Garrett was Billy Bonnie's friend and, 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 and escorted him to Mexico so he wouldn't be hanged. The, the the people who were victimized by Billy the Kid killed Pat Garrett. The government knew that and used it on Brazos to force him to recant his entire story. So the civilian people, the sheriff, the, all there, and the military played catch-up, and they played catch-up by successive false cover stories until Washington. So this, what we're dealing with, the Chinese on those little objects now, dates all the way back, mm. all the way back to 1947, when if you can't identify things in the sky— If you can't control what's in your sky, deny it, cover it up. And that's what happened.
1: Uh, we're talking and that's with, what's happening now. Talking with Bill Burns. Uh, Bill, do you think it's a possibility, you know, there seems to be a very real possibility that at least one of these objects was some cheap hobby balloon. You referred to it as a you know $15 device that uh, would have had the right to be where it was when it was shot down. And there was one a balloon hobbyist group out in the Midwest, I believe, that's claiming that it was their balloon Do you think that the reason the government may not be saying what these objects are could be as simple as they would be embarrassed if they spent uh, a half million dollars three times over to shoot down a $15 hobby balloon?
0: Absolutely. And this is the same – these are the same folks going to Congress and saying, raise the debt ceiling again. I get why they're saying it. But I mean, they're saying it at the same time they're spending two million dollars on shooting down toy plastic balloons. Uh, and I mean, when I was teaching, I mean, I'm the first time, a thousand years ago, the um, we had, in our science department, we were they were launching uh, balloons into the atmosphere. I mean, this was back in the 1970s. So, I mean. If we were in danger of being shot down by the air force because we're launching a balloon to pick up weather patterns over Trenton, New Jersey, um, that would be insane. But I think the politics of the time were caught basically with our pants down. They're saying, "Look at the Chinese! They're they're flying a balloon over us." And now, once we fine tune the radars that we're not bothering with, now we see. Toy balloons all over the place. And that's what we're shooting down. Of course we're embarrassed.
1: Uh, let me shift gears a little bit. There was an article in the Washington per- Washington Post two days ago. Strange DNA found in the desert offers lessons in the hunt for Mars life. This is a story out of Chile, the Atacama Desert, what exactly was strange about this DNA, and how could it offer lessons in the hunt for Martian life?
0: First of all, the Chilean desert, uh, that climate approximate the climate, approximates the climate of the Martian deserts. <clears throat> so there's a similarity between that desert and Martian deserts. And the fact that scientists have found bacteria, whose DNA is unlike anything on this planet. Now you know that back in 1976, that particular Mars mission picked up methane and other gases that are the result of biological processes. So the question is, if if those tests were valid What are biological processes doing on a supposedly quote-unquote dead planet? The planet's probably still alive. Now there are new theories that in Martian lakes, there's still water on Mars. It's under the surface. It's near the poles. And that in there, there are signs of early Martian life. If, which is what SETI scientists have argued... That chunks of Mars broke off early, let's say, 3 billion, 3.25 billion years ago when, when when the solar system was forming. It was under attack by all kinds of meteors and asteroids, breaking things off the planet, blowing stuff off the moon, blowing stuff off Earth, but in one particular case... Chunks of Mars were blown off by astronaut impacts, fell to Earth, into what will become the Arctic Oceans, the the Arctic Oceans. And there, that's where they fostered life. So when we were talking with folks on SETI, when we were doing UFO hunters, they were arguing, we're not Earthlings, we're Martians. What if the DNA they found in the Chilean desert was in fact the result of rocks, asteroids that fell from Mars. And in that desert right now is proof that the Earth was bombarded with alien life. And that's what scientists think, that this is the proof that we've been bombarded by alien life. Wow. Life life not from this planet.
1: Now, uh, this could be just bacteria, right? It doesn't necessarily mean there was intelligent life on Mars, right?
0: Right, exactly. It could be bacteria. It's
1: true. I
0: mean, and but bacteria can live in space, and DNA can live in space. And you know the theory of panspermia that, uh, 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 that Crick and Watson developed, which was that an advanced—that because— DNA can live in space that an advanced race of extraterrestrials, say, for millions of years ago, populated the entire known universe, including us, with DNA. So in other words, there is human life or humanoid life spread throughout the universe. And when folks like a plumber at the Roswell Army Air Force Base, the 509, in 1947, uh, a fireman, uh, people who've seen these things, uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Marines who won the Battle of Okinawa, these, uh, um, Marion Magruder, these people, they all saw and reported what they saw about aliens. And the one common descriptor they used was they look like us. Even at Roswell, they said that, uh, that this one person, this plumber, was standing outside the hangar, spoke to his daughter, hanging out. And he didn't tell her a thing about it until after he got his diagnosis of fatal cancer, fatal lung cancer. And he was dying. And he took his daughter out into the woods so nobody could hear them. And he told them this story that he was standing. He's a plumber, right? Working at the hangar at the Army Air Force Base. Just one of scores of general civilian contractors. All of a sudden, he sees a hubbub down at the base entrance. Right, sirens, military device, everything. Then they come right at him. And he said, what's going on here? They come at him, and that's when he sees medics carrying an alien on a stretcher four and a half feet but looked human and the alien looks up at this plumber and the plumber says i knew from when the alien looked at me that he was dying and they took him inside wow. the hangar once he's inside the hangar a bunch of mps slammed this guy against the wall and said you open your mouth you're going into the desert you're never going to be found And then a captain walks over and says, you guys get away from him. He works here. I know who he is. You're not going to talk about this, right? The guy says, yes. It's fine. It's over. And the MPs walk away. That plumber didn't talk about it until right before he died when he told his daughter. The same thing happened with Sheriff George Wilcox. Razzle brings in a bunch of debris. He doesn't know what it is. Found it on the ranch. Gives it to George Wilcox. What Wilcox does, he's the sheriff, he puts it in the Chavez County Jail in Roswell, then calls the Army base, they come out, and they read him the riot act. Don't talk about this. So from the very, very first moments, we have been covering this stuff up, and it, it hasn't changed over the years. Why? Because we don't know the answer. Or worse, we do know the answer, and we aren't revealing it.
1: All right. We're going to continue in just a moment with Bill Burns uh, talking about a wide variety of subjects. If you want to call in, we'll try and get to some of your questions throughout the hour. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue our conversation with Bill Burns, author of the book UFOs and the White House, in just a moment. What did our presidents know and when did they know it? Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The
0: Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files.
1: the side of Midnight, I'm Frank Moreno, joined for the hour by one of our favorite guests covering a wide variety of subjects. We've got alien bacteria in the desert. We've got three UFOs shot down by the government. We've got a whole lot more. Bill Burns is the author of UFOs and the White House. Bill, uh, what was, you know, it was George Washington's birthday yesterday, and a lot of us think we know a lot about George Washington. But one thing that uh, we don't necessarily learn about in the second grade when we're learning about Washington crossing the Delaware and him being the first president is that George Washington was also probably the first president to have a UFO sighting. What was the nature of his UFO sighting and and what's the sourcing for this?
0: Well, first, the source is even more important Than the sighting, because the source was George Washington's own journal. President Washington, or General Washington at that point, was so absorbed with the fact that his troops, wintering in Valley Forge, really a dreadful winter, 1777, dreadful winter, were wintering in Valley Forge, no shoes. No clothes, no money, and their crops were all destroyed because they're busy fighting the war instead of bringing back their crops. Remember, um, uh, 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 the colonies in 1776, 1777, these were all farmers. We had no technology, really. So um, these farmers had to leave their farms and fight a war. They were fed up. They said, you know what? This is crazy. See, we're going to die here. Get us out of here. They wanted to go home. So Washington goes into the woods and outside of Valley Forge. I live near Valley Forge. Washington goes out to Valley Forge to pray. In the woods, and this is from his journal, in the woods he sees a glowing orb floating over his head. He's astounded. Out of the orb jump what he calls little green figures. Then he sees a white-robed figure which explains to him, which shows him the disposition battle plans for the Revolutionary War, and prophesies that the colonials will win the war and become the United and become America, the United States of America. He sees that. That gives him hope. <clears throat> then, a hundred years later, the ghost of George Washington appears to General McClellan. In Washington, D.C. at the outset of the Civil War, doing the same thing, showing him the battle plans. Unfortunately, Lincoln fired McClellan and hired Grant, but but, but, but that was George Washington. He was also the first president to see a ghost. In the um, French and Indian War, Washington led the Virginia Colonial Militia attached to General Braddock's assault on Fort Duquesne. Fort Duquesne, modern Pittsburgh, was this hub that connected the three rivers, the Allegheny, the Ohio, and and the um, the, uh, Monongahela, and from the Great Lakes to the the Mississippi. Very important route. Washington, uh, Braddock decides the Indians were picking apart the British. Just the Delaware Indians knew how to fight from trees. They had muskets. The the British couldn't advance. Braddock decides he's going to force a crossing across the Monongahela, which he does Gets shot and wounded. Washington sees this, commands. He commandeers a cart, horses, the militia. They cross the river. An Indian chief, a Delaware chief, has Washington in his sights, Frank. He aims the flintlock at him, pulls back the flintlock. And suddenly he says, the great spirit descended upon Washington, descended upon him and protected him. And the chief put down the gun and said, when I see the great spirit, I stop. Wow. Flesh forward 20 years to the revolution. Washington is out in the woods in Valley Forge. And after he sees that orb, he sees that very same Indian. He sees him. Problem. That chief had died the week before. It was Washington who appeared to Eisenhower in the White House and showed Eisenhower where the structural flaw was. That's why during the 1950s, Eisenhower had to leave the White House and stay at the at an office building because um the White House needed reconstruction.
1: Now, the, what about that anecdote, for instance? What is the sourcing for that Washington's ghost Eisenhower meeting?
0: Uh, that was McClellan himself. General McClellan said he couldn't believe he looked up and he saw this figure ro- ro- robed in white. And the figure says to him, century, because McClellan had fallen asleep. The rational argument is this. <clears throat> I will now be the psychologist giving a rational argument. McClellan fell asleep in his semi-sleep state. He was dreaming about Washington, showing him the uh, the battle plans, foresaw the battle plans, of the Civil War. That would be the conventional psychological argument. But McClellan didn't believe in that. He thought he saw Washington's ghost. And it gets worse, Frank, because at the Battle of Gettysburg, the main volunteer regiment was going the wrong way um, to set up on Little Round Top Hill. And A figure robed in white on a white horse and a three-cornered hat, I'll tell you the source of this, leads them directly to the hill. They take positions on Little Round Top. The Confederates picket attacks. They attack the hill. The Union soldiers remain, run out of ammunition. What are they going to do? They're about to be overrun. Suddenly, the figure appears again on the white horse, draws a sword and says, follow me, charge. The Maine Volunteers run down the hill, wipe out the Confederates, and Pickett says, I will never fight the Maine Volunteers again. They blunt the charge. What's my source for this? The Secretary of the Army, who mm. became the president of Bowdoin College. He wrote down about the figure, robed in white, and it's in Army records
1: now. Uh, but you, you alluded to the, that Eisenhower also saw Washington at the White House. H- how do we know that?
0: Well, it supposedly Eisenhower revealed it. So, that, so what I would love to do on my bucket list is talk to David Eisenhower and Julie Nixon Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. Because it was Julie Nixon Eisenhower's father, Richard Nixon, who, along with Ronald Reagan and JFK, were the strongest UFO presidents. I mean, Ronald Reagan was actually summoned into politics by extraterrestrials. He's driving down PCH. You know, PCH is highway number one in California, right along the Pacific coast. And he's driving down with Nancy Reagan to attend a party. At the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, it's a surprise party for William Holden. They were Mm -hmm. friends. And he's driving down, and suddenly, over the highway, he sees a giant UFO. The UFO hovers over his car and then floats over the Pacific and sinks into the water. Reagan arrives at Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, and he is wild, crazy wild. He's saying, you won't believe what I just saw. And he tells everybody at the party what he saw. And he says, here's the mysterious thing. I received a message. And the message was, leave acting, go into politics. And he credits his run for governor, his supporter, Barry Goldwater, and his run for governor of California as inspired by extraterrestrials. Gets worse. Gets worse. Tells people at the party, who tells me about this? Lucille Ball. I love Lucy. And she tells me the whole story of what happened with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan gets into office. Who was he briefed by? George H.W. Bush, who was head of the CIA. And Bush briefs Reagan on everything. Bush and Cap- Casper Weinberger brief Reagan. That's why Reagan goes tells um uh, gorbachev what if aliens invaded us wouldn't our small petty differences erase he says the same thing in front of the um general assembly at the united nations so here's what happens at a screening in the white house of steven spielberg's et they're all all the folks are milling around after the film ends they're Basically commenting on the film, Reagan summons Spielberg over. And Steven Spielberg stands there with Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. And Ronald Reagan, get this, he whispers to Steven Spielberg, he says, you and I are the only ones in this room who know that film is not fiction. How so, about that? The, then he starts complaining about the credits and then says, oh, Ronnie, stop it. That's how they do things nowadays. What's my source of this? Steven Spielberg. You,
1: you know, of the modern presidents, you alluded to uh, President Truman and of everybody, you know, uh, post-Washington. What would you say the first one was who had some firsthand knowledge of UAPs or UFOs or extraterrestrials. Was it Truman or does it predate Truman?
0: Well, it was probably FDR because Franklin Delano Roosevelt was ostensibly in charge of the uh, enrichment of nuclear facilities for um, the first atomic bombs we dropped on Japan. And FDR received reports that there were strange objects hovering over Oak Ridge and over and in Washington that as soon as we began and I believe there's a I have a theory of this that as soon as we began the one thing that could destroy the planet yes there's a period of climate change there are floods there are fires yes but the one thing that could wipe out human beings on this planet is a nuclear war. I mean, if you look at any of the scenarios, there's no such thing as a safe, tactical nuclear war. Sure. If there is a nuclear exchange between parties, that is the beginning of the end of humanity, of human civilization on this planet. And yes, the extraterrestrials, which we are, I mean, we we are E.T., The extraterrestrials, our colonial overlords, do not want this colony to be destroyed by itself. So they began in the 1940s surveilling where we were enriching uranium and plutonium. Remember, we enriched uranium for the one bomb on Hiroshima and plutonium for the next bomb on Nagasaki. So they surveilled our enrichment of nuclear. Um, source material for these bombs to see what we were doing. In 1962, for example, was it 62 or 66, but UFOs appeared over Malmstrom Air Force Base. The um, people who guard the base, remember the bases are underground, but on the surface there is a security detail. And the security detail sees a hovering red light over the base. A hovering red light that, what's so strange is it doesn't move. It just hangs over the base. The board, which controls the the, uh, the ballistic missiles, it is hardwired. No radio. This is thick cable that connects the, the control room, with the actual missiles in the silo, and when the missiles are in a go mode, when they're ready to go, when they can be programmed, launch codes entered, fueling begins, the board is green. When the missiles are offline, there is a no-go signal from the board. When they see, when, when there's a report of this hanging red light, suddenly all the missiles in that silo They go offline. There's a no-go signal. Nothing the launch control officers can do can get the missiles back online until the red light disappears and the missiles come back online. It's a clear message. It happened at Malmstrom, and it happened at Minot. It is, you will not launch these missiles unless we allow you to. Mm. Same thing happened in Russia. Same thing happened in Russia in the 1980s. Suddenly, the nuclear missiles in their silo go go hot. They start to fuel themselves. The launch codes are entered. They're going to attack the United States. They're going to start a world war. The Russian missile controllers are in a panic. They radio Moscow. Shut this thing down. Moscow Center can't shut it down. The missiles are about to launch when suddenly the light disappears and the missiles would return to the Russian control. The message is clear. UFOs don't have to hover over the White House anymore. Mm. They simply affect our missiles. Uh,
1: A lot of people eager to chat with you, and if you want to jump on board, we'll try and get to you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We're talking with Bill Burns. He's the author of the book UFOs and the White House, what did our presidents know and when did they know it? It's published by my favorite publisher, Skyhorse Publishing, which is the, you know, of all the guests that we have on this program, uh, Alan Dershowitz, Jesse Ventura, it's always amazing to me how many of them are Skyhorse authors. Uh, they always seem to be, whether it's Woody Allen or Richard Belzer, they always seem to be the publishing house, or Robert Kennedy, they always seem to be the publishing house that's willing to publish the books that are outside of acceptable mainstream conventional wisdom. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Anthony is in New Jersey. Anthony, you're on with Bill Burns.
0: Hey, Mr. Morano, Mr. Burns. Thank you for your time. Sure. Um, my question is this. Uh, if you want to explain something that has a lot of proof, what, what about uh, Billy the Pallavian in Switzerland? And, you know, Stern spent a year at his house. Um, Roosevelt was there for a week. Um, they have a thousand page uh, a manifest that he wrote um, a guy with a fifth grade education writing in a, in a manifest that they didn't even know what quarks or, or anything about time travel at the time. And then 10 years later, someone's like, wow, this guy's talking about time travel. That's what he's talking about. How did he have that
1: information? Is, is that and the story? Are you talking about Billy Meyer? Billy Meyer. Yeah. Billy, right. They call him Billy the Pleiadian. Got you. Okay. Myers. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. You know, let me. Uh, you, know, you have Red Bull Sham National Park. Sure. Uh, Bill, you have know, you? By, by, have, by thank you, Anthony. Bill, have you followed the case of Billy Meyer, and and what's your take on it? If you have, yes, and I think it is amazing because Billy Meyer,
0: a guy as you say, Anthony, with a fifth grade education, is suddenly talking about physics and quantum physics and qubits and and how and how the universe works. <clears throat> Then he starts talking about time travel, and time travel is one of the most exotic theories of of physics you can possibly imagine. It deals with the speed of light. It deals with the whole idea of space time. How would um, a farmer with an elementary school education know about this? And Billy Meyer, th- there's a whole website dealing with him. It's called They Fly, and there is a whole group of people who are adherents to the Billy Meyer story of his being contacted by extraterrestrials who give him this knowledge.
1: Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly wild. It's almost cult like the devotion that some people have to Uh, Just uh, exploring Billy Meyer and uh, furthering the story of Billy Meyer. We're going to continue with Bill Burns in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222 if you have questions. Bill Burns is the author of the book UFOs and the White House. It's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. This is The Other Side of Midnight straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Other side of midnight with Frank Marano. The summer
1: wind. and the summer wind the great frank sinatra singing summer wind this was a birthday bumper music selection from noted attorney and legal analyst anthony pope he is uh, a fine attorney one of the finest in new jersey and uh, i've seen him on tv a great deal and on radio and uh, he is a pretty good way about him uh, that uh, that I really get a kick out of. We're talking with Bill Burns, a terrific writer. We so often take advantage of his expertise when it comes to ufos but he's written about a lo- number of stories including frank sinatra if you read the book that he co-wrote with uh, richard lertzman dr feelgood there's some very interesting stories in there about uh, frank sinatra the kennedys and others but we'll save those for another day uh, bill i did want to ask you you know so many uh, this you document so many instances in your book of jimmy carter richard nixon george washington harry truman all uh, Eisenhower, Kennedy, all having some knowledge of what was going on with respect to extraterrestrials and UFOs. And you've indicated that you think that the fact that Barack Obama's production company is going to be producing this uh, Barney and Betty Hill abduction story as a movie, when they could produce any movie they want, is maybe a clue that disclosure could be coming sooner rather than later. It does seem that we're approaching a tipping point, whether it's all the space exploration that's happening, whether it's the Space Force, whether it's these UFOs, these reports from the director of national intelligence, the congressional legislation. It does seem like we're getting closer and closer to public acceptance. What do you see at this point as the next steps in the disclosure movement? And how soon do you think it'll be before the president or the government in general acknowledge that, yes, There have been extraterrestrial visitors to this planet.
0: I think we will know, I think people will know this before um, 2040. I mean, that's what I really believe. I think that the public is being, um, by the way, this is an experiment that began as early as the 1930s. But I think the public is being programmed for UFO disclosure. I think that programming, the programming of a national constituency, that's a major thing that actually began in the 1930s. That began, um, I think, that the Rockefeller Foundation looked at what happened in Germany in the 1930s, looked at what happened in Russia in the 1920s after World War One, when the Bolsheviks took over, then Lenin, and Stalin. And they said, look at what happened to these mass populations that were convinced of something that was ultimately detrimental to them. Can this same thing happen in the United States? So the Rockefeller Foundation hired Frank Stanton at Princeton University. Frank Stanton later became the head of CBS. Frank Stanton contracted with contracted with Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater of the Air to do a live broadcast of a simulated Martian attack on the Earth the day uh, um, of War of the Worlds. And the hope was that this radio broadcast would so traumatize the public that um, they would react to an alien invasion. Just the opposite happened. It was a big yawn. And actually in the book, UFOs in the White House, Frank Stanton complains to the British newspapers that there was no reaction to the um, War of the Worlds broadcast. So that was a very early attempt to use UFOs as an attempt to program a mass civilization. I mean, John Kennedy was so amazed... I mean, I'm just wondering if the Obamas are going to cover this when they do the story of Betty and Bonnie Hill, because the person affected most by that was JFK. JFK was so exorcised by the story of Bonnie and Betty Hill, which took place in 1961, his first year in office, when he um, he he immediately said, we have to go to the moon by the end of the decade. That was the reason for that. It wasn't just the Soviet success in launching satellites. It was the knowledge that there were extraterrestrials. So JFK said, let's go to the moon and establish a moon base there. And that was the reason for it. He also knew when he took office about Area 51 because he told Marilyn Monroe in a um, – he told Marilyn Monroe in Pillow Talk they were having an affair – she believed that he would divorce Jackie and marry her. And um, he told her about this secret Air Force base in Nevada and the little men and the things from outer space they keep there and the little men who live there. Little men from outer space. Those were his words. So, Marilyn Monroe calls the Justice what calls Bobby Kennedy. She was having an affair with him too. And threatens him that he better return her phone call or else she would go public Mm. about the secret air base and the little men from outer space. The phone call was tapped by J. Edgar Hoover, who loathed Bobby Kennedy and really disliked Marilyn Monroe because he didn't like to drink and she was a drunk. And so he, he, he taped recorded the phone call, and it was also recorded by Dulles at the CIA. That transcript of that phone call is in UFOs in the White House. And because Marilyn Monroe threatened, she died months later.
1: You know, that is I've spent a lot of time talking about that with uh, with Mark Shaw, the reporter of uh, the the lawyer and the author of uh, books like The Reporter Who Knew Too Much and several others. And that's exactly his contention that that uh, that. Marilyn Monroe's enthusiasm and her willingness to threaten uh, what she had heard on the UAP issue that could have resulted in her her death. Uh, Bill, the hour always flies by whenever we speak. I will very much look forward to our next conversation. I want to encourage people to get. UFOs and the White House. What did our presidents know, and when did they know it? by the way, Bill, how new is this book? Is this something that just came out, or is this uh, is this something that's been out a couple of years?
0: No, this has been out a couple of years, and I'm um, probably going to after the Obamas do the Betty and Barney Hill story. I think. The whole world of UFO knowledge is going to change. Got it. That's well, I think that's my prediction. Uh,
1: people should check it out. Bill, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Brent. Have a wonderful day. All right. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222 next hour. We got the AC report. A little later, Brian Kilmead. A whole lot of other things to get to. In the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat, spayed or neutered.